is Chelsea Higgs Wise. And I decided to start a show about being the biracial girl who was living her life, being half and half, never picking a side until one day the world informed me, girl, you're black. I'm from the You're listening to Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Maudlin-Jackson. WRIR's Fun Drive begins today at 3 and runs through April 10th. We encourage listeners to donate whatever you can and any support is appreciated. Remember, donations like yours keep shows like Race Capital going. So Richmond, in 2018, there were 54 homicides. 51 of them were caused by guns. In Richmond, homicide is the number one cause of death for black people aged 10 to 24, and the number of gun-related death exceeds the state and national rates. This is a public health issue, RVA. Keeping our finger on the pulse, Race Capital has been following the Cultural Health Campaign that seeks to understand the root causes of our greatest health challenges as a city. So, Chelsea, what exactly is the Culture of Health Campaign? The Cultural Health Campaign was sparked by the Cultural Health Prize that was awarded to Richmond in 2017 by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And what's the prize do? What's it for? So it's actually a grant. It's a bunch of money to bring awareness to the fact that Richmond has a problem and that it has indicators around race that are affecting our health. It really speaks to the work that Dr. Stephen Wolf and his colleagues have been pushing around place, space, and the social determinants of health, where it shows that based on where you live can determine your lifespan. For example, if you live in Westover Hills, his research points out that a person on average will live 20 years longer than someone living in Gilpin Court. Based on this research pointing race to be a major indicator on health and years on our life, the culture of health has put an emphasis on having this conversation of health and race. So today we're talking about gun violence and a program that Richmond has going on to address survivors of gun violence, specifically the youth of Richmond. We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, Next, we have our guest, Ade Mason and Amy Vincent. Thank you all for being here. Oh, glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Okay. Ade is the Bridging Gap Coordinator, and Amy is the Assistant Director of VCU Injury and Violence Prevention Program. So I've invited them on to talk a little bit about what's going on in Richmond from their point of view and their place in space. So Ade, tell us a little bit about what you do over at Bridging the Gap. Sure. Well, um, first of all, Bridging the Gap is a youth violence intervention program for male and female youth ages 10 to 24 that have been victims of gunshot wounds, stabs, and assaults. Pretty much the program is designed to help these individuals once they do come and get admitted into the hospital mm -hmm. by seeing them day to day and building a rapport with them and enrolling them in the program and Pretty much when you enroll a patient in the program, mm -hmm. you enroll in the patient and the family. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Bridging the Gap because we not only help that patient, we'll help siblings and or 
parents, whoever's in the household. Wow. Um, we're going to we're going to help them because being being injured like that is traumatic. And it's not just a trauma for the patient it's for the people that's around them as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really taking a holistic approach to help these individuals get back on uh, get back on track. Mm -hmm. And um, by doing certain things as far as just uh, goal goal and career planning and things like that. And honestly, just getting them to trust me hmm. um, and just trust that I have their best interest in mind and the program does as well. How long has Bridging the Gap been around? Oh, man. Amy, it's been around, what, 2011, I want uh, to it's been around eleven years. Yes, eleven years. So okay, it's it's been it's been been a while. Okay, y'all gonna see me counting my fingers. How long ago was that then? <laughs> no, right. Okay, so like 2008, 2008? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Do we know a little bit about how did bridging the gap get started? Uh, actually, yeah, our director, Doctor uh, Michael Abitanos, mm -hmm. pretty much got. You know, he's really passionate about youth and mm -hmm. youth violence and seeing, I think it was one particular case he talks about where the, the young man, he came in numerous times. He came in the first time and of course, Dr. A saved his life. And actually he came back again and he was able to save him again. Unfortunately, the third time he was unable to save um, this young man. And if, if you know anything about Dr. Abitanos, that doesn't sit well with him to lose anyone, especially um, a young person. Wow. From so, gunshot. Yes. Yeah. So basically from that, he got with many more of his colleagues and birthed Bridging the Gap. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And that's because that's you. That's why I asked that, because it's always a story behind a story that makes a movement like this. So great to hear that this has been going on for 11 years. How did you get started and how long have you been there, Bridging the Gap? Well, I've been here uh, with Bridging the Gap for two years. Okay. <laughs> and someone just asked me that particular question, like, how did you do this? Honestly, you you know, just scrolling and you find you find job postings and things like that. Mm -hmm. And but this encompasses everything that I've ever done right. career wise in one job. Great. And so I thought it was a perfect match and it turned out to be. <laughs> so what is your role over at Bridging um, the Gap? My role as the coordinator, just to identify the day-to-day -day patients that come in mm -hmm. that fit the criteria. Okay. Like I said, it's ages 10 to 24. And so um, once I identify those individuals to as quickly as possible, go and try to establish that rapport, get to know them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that doesn't even encompass talking about what happened to them. Right. It's literally just talking to them person to person. Right. Because I literally want them to see me as a person exactly. and not just one of the maybe hundred people who always say they're they're going to help them mm -hmm. just to see them as a person and see see what they like and, and things like that. And we just go from there. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about what your day to day looks like oh, as man. a coordinator. Day to day, really no two days look the same, but pretty much. Coming in early, uh, 7.30, 8 o'clock, coming in, checking the admit list that I get every morning. And once I uh, check the list and identify a different patient, just start making my rounds. Because also, even though the program is for ages 10 to 24, we also do uh, what we call violence consults for the ages 25 and over. Even though they can't be in Bridging the Gap, we still like to give them resources. So even if they got injured, we don't send them home with nothing. 
Right. We actually tried to intervene. So pretty much my day, I go see my Bridging the Gap individuals. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I see them every day up until discharge. But also to go and see those 25 and older uh, patients and do violence consults and connect them to resources and things like that. So mm -hmm. I also do home visits because the great thing about Bridging the Gap is not just while they're in the hospital. Right. It's if we follow them home. So okay. I, every neighborhood who people think, oh, you go to those neighborhoods, I go anywhere my patients are. Mm. Wherever they at, that's where I go. Can I ask, are there particular neighborhoods that you go to more often? Yes. Let me see. Pretty much. Or areas. You don't have well, to name particular neighborhoods. Yes. I was going right. to say, um, pretty much the down, downtown type area. Um, honestly, the courts. Okay. I go to a lot of the courts. Okay. Um, public housing. Yes. Yes. And people always, oh, you know, these are people who need help just like any of us would need help. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I, yeah, I go everywhere. Yeah. When you when you put the idea of, uh, the idea out there that yeah I'll go to that neighborhood too that's a narrative of you're not going to say that about every about every neighborhood in Richmond a absolutely right so it is important to name that you're able to be in a certain space and be comfortable there because that's where you're serving the person the community right that's where you're serving where the need is yes and <laughs> it's real funny when you go when you go to someone's home they can tell right offhand if you're uncomfortable course and so that's so no matter where I go I, I make sure to let them they can project I project that I'm comfortable and I'm there to help and when you go out to someone's home that's really intimate and that really shows that you're invested in them mm -hmm. and trying to help them so a day trust building is such an important part of your work how do you do that with people who start off as young strangers who might not be so trusting of <laughs> The strange man. I'm glad you said that. As I talk to Amy about all the time, when I walk in the room, like I said, really is never even about uh, what happened to him. What I do is it, from video games, because I've had patients who are, they're playing their video games. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a gamer. So that's a connection. <laughs> even in young, most young people, they love sneakers. They're sneakerheads. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a sneakerhead. Huh. Sports. Whatever, whatever, wherever the conversation actually leads us. Okay. Because like I said, not talking, by not talking about their injuries, they pretty much start to say, hey, this guy's just cool to talk to. Mm. And that's what I try to be, just cool to talk to. I've had a, a, a case where it took me, what, nine, nine visits, we just realized? Nine visits <laughs> before I actually got a young man to buy into the program mm -hmm. and pretty mm -hmm. much with the program, buying into me, right. buying into that I'm going to help you. Right. No matter what. And with that young man, he's been nothing short of successful since since then. So I keep seeing you look over to this young woman, Amy. Amy, why don't you jump in and introduce yourself to the people? Sure. Uh, my name is Amy Vincent, and I'm the assistant director for VCU Health Injury and Violence Prevention Programs. So my role is really just to make sure our coordinators like a day have what he needs to do his job every day. Okay. To keep him employed, to keep us growing because our population keeps growing. Uh -huh. um, and we know we're not serving our community in the best way that we could because we are limited in the amount of mm -hmm. funding that we currently have. Um, but we hope that that is going to change. Yeah. No, that's we need those resources, mm -hmm. right? Like otherwise, how are we going to be able because my next question was about what what size is the population that you all are able to serve right now? So I just did these numbers the other day. <laughs> we were just talking about them at a, at a symposium we just hosted. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, we saw, I believe, 130 uh, young people between the ages of 10 and 24 who had been gunshot wound victims. Wow. Well, a day is really the only coordinator who does the intervention piece. He's only one person. Right. So with that, 
he saw about 30 of those in the Bridging the Gap program in one year. Wow. So, so we know that there is a lot that are missing. Sure, some of them would have said no. I mean, we know that happens. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what could we be doing differently? And we, we know the answer to that. Right, right, <laughs> right. Well, I'm so glad that you all, too, can work in partnership because as he was talking, looking to her and be, being able to communicate with the people that you're trying to build your resources with and that team building when building trust is really important of how to really foster the resources that our community needs. Um, Amy, tell me a little bit about how you found your yourself doing this type of work. Anything you want to share? Sure. I actually started in rape crisis and domestic violence. That was sort of where my background was. Mm -hmm. And I had been working in the rape crisis field for probably, I don't know, probably eight, nine years Mm -hmm. before I moved to Richmond. And, you know, I ended up at the health department. And my role there grew into youth violence prevention. And at that time, I was doing more community-level macro work. And I just grew to really enjoy the work because I could see the fruits of all of our labor together. Mm -hmm. And then this position came came open at VCU, and I thought, this is where I can bring back some of that boots on the ground work and be more intentional about where I'm contributing to my community. Very cool. So besides uh, BTG, Bridging the Gap, what other community projects or how else does your department get involved in the community? So we actually have a wealth of programs. One of the other programs I really want to highlight that is part of Bridging the Gap is called Emerging Leaders. And Emerging Leaders is our youth violence prevention piece where we intervene with young people in our pediatric emergency department as well as our adolescent clinics. And then some we do have partnerships with community agencies as well who make referrals to us. Mm-hmm. But we do a nine-month curriculum where we offer young people the opportunity to come to us every other week, spend two hours with our coordinator, Rochelle, and she puts together this really wonderful curriculum that gives them the skills they need to be a leader in their own lives Mm -hmm. and then a leader in their communities as well. We also provide mentorship opportunities and internship, paid internship over the summer for about five kids or five young people. And they're high school age, so they're they're 14 to 18. So we get to partner and bring them in and give them some job skills so that they can see what it's like to work in a hospital. We want to introduce them to healthcare careers and that it's not just nurse or doctor, but it can be just about anything. It's like a small city. So there are so many resources that they could tap into if they're not sure if they want to be in the blood and guts, but (laughs) there are so many other aspects to it too. As a former social worker, you are hitting all my holistic buttons, right? Like <laughs> the team building, the muscle, the multidisciplinary team. Yes. Um, and just being in the medical field and doing the rounds and understanding who's at the table with you mm-hmm. just to be able to serve one person is really powerful and and something like a hospital setting and that takes even more in a community setting yeah yeah so thank you so much for telling me and everybody else a little bit more about this program what else are you all doing over there and i've just got a quick question about the program how do you recruit and are the young people involved in the program coming from a lot of the neighborhoods where you see the violence most predominantly. So yes, most of the teens that we are recruiting in live in the city of Richmond and the majority live in the neighborhoods where we are seeing the highest rates of violence. We have an assessment that our pediatric emergency department will administer that lets us know whether or not a young person would be a good fit for the program. And then our coordinator will reach out to that person's, that young person's family and see if they'd be interested in joining. 
So do they apply here or are they survivors? We are trying to get them before they've been injured. So the idea is that emerging leaders exist to prevent kids from ever becoming either a victim of violence or a perpetrator of violence. So what we found with Bridging the Gap was that most of the kids who had been, or young people who had been involved with gun violence or any other type of uh, youth violence, they had been seen in our hospital system at some point before. So we Hmm. thought, can we catch them? Before they come in for that gunshot wound, is there a way for us to intervene beforehand? And that's where Emerging Leaders blossomed from. So how long has Emerging Leaders been around? Uh, Emerging Leaders has been around since 2015. So tell me a little bit more about, you mentioned an assessment tool that someone might fill out. So what are some of the things that might come on that assessment tool that would then lead them to the Bridging the Gap program? Well, it's actually different for Bridging the Gap. Oh, okay, um, right. Yes, Emerging Leaders has the assessment where they um, you find out if this person's a good fit. Bridging okay. the Gap, all you have to do is be between the ages of 10 and 24 right. and admit it for a gunshot wound, stab, or assault. Okay. Once you're admitted, you're now uh, eligible. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so then let me ask the that question for emerging leaders then what just a couple things on the emerging leaders assessment would make somebody qualify or lead them more to your program to say hey this could be someone that could benefit from this program uh well we look at zip code Mm-hmm. While we will take a young person from anywhere in the city, we do focus a little bit uh, harder on the East End because that's where we see the most amount of uh, victims coming into our emergency department for those types of injuries. Okay. But we also look at stability. We look at, you know, have they had past interactions with their their peers in terms of violence? You know, have they been involved in fights? Are they using drugs and alcohol? J- just those things that put somebody a little bit more at risk than another person okay. for for violence. Gotcha. And are those types of factors coming out in the clients that you serve a day that have then actually been a victim of this kind of violence? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how, how does your program address or help kind of build support for somebody based on those types of indicators. Use the right word just now, support. Bridging the gap, we try to insulate them. That's why we connect them to different resources, um, whether it's mental health. I know with with one young man, connecting him back to his high school um, because he had stopped going to school and connecting him to coaches. We I connect them to whatever whatever their goals are. It's up to, I tell them I'm their own personal Siri. I, okay. go, and, <laughs> I go and I try to find whatever that resource is resources that's going to help them to accomplish that goal, whether it's a vocational or or they just want to go to normal college. Right, like right. So whatever it is, I try to find that resource, like you said, to build uh, that support system because a lot of times they don't have those support systems and also talk to their family members and just to get them to understand what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And together we all build that support system and push push these young people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's pretty uh, rewarding. It sounds like you really are able to work with the family to build out the best resources and the plan for the survivor. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some important data points, some research that you all want to point out around gun violence? What are some data points or facts for people in Richmond that you think are important to know around gun violence? Well, I don't even know if it's just data points. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a purview thing. Okay. Because a lot of times people think when you hear gun violence, they think it's these hyper-aggressive individuals just walking around the city. Mm. Um, and that's actually not the case when when I get them. Like, 
the misconception like that is those when, when I get them, they um and you strip it down and when I go in that room, that's I'm not talking to a hyper aggressive individual. I'm just talking to a regular individual mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that just has some bad life circumstances. Yes. And out of these bad life circumstances, mm. some these situations grow. So it sounds like it's you really want to change the narrative of who these victims are and what they look like to the people in Richmond. So what else would you want to, to say or talk about? Or do you have a story of a particular survivor that you'd like to really lift up? I actually do. I have a story of a young man who we, we actually just uh, talked about him a little bit at our trauma symposium mm-hmm. last week, whereas he had been shot. And he came, he came to the hospital, and when I saw him, he looked like he had no hope. Mm. And that's the young man who I said I had to see nine times before he trusted me enough to enroll in the program. Okay. But after he did enroll, this young man, he, he trusted me enough for us to hit the ground running. Awesome. And like I said, bridging the gap will go anywhere. Right. So I won't only meet him at his house. Mm-hmm. He was a, a lucky for me. Was a he was a sports enthusiast, mm-hmm. and so am I. Right. So that's how we really connected. And working with him, it one is didn't even feel like work. But I I actually connected him to his coach because in talking to him, his coach had coached me before. That see, Richmond <laughs> so, is so small so, in that way. So it was like okay, let me connect you to your coach. Right. And as we talked to his coach, we found an organization called the Assist Foundation. Okay. And Coach Carter, and we connected him uh, to Coach Carter. And coach Carter was able to um to utilize his resources with Assist mm-hmm. and help find a. a possible school for him to go to. Wow. What are some other resources, organizations that you work with to help build these like post-discharge points? Um, Child savers. We definitely utilize child savers Mm -hmm. because PTSD is real. Right. And so let me ask you, let me touch on that Mm -hmm. because PTSD is usually referred to with veterans, right? Um, Being a clinical social worker, I know to me, when I hear PTSD, I understand that that's a lot of our Richmond children and our Richmond youth. Absolutely. So can you talk a little little bit and it doesn't have to be anything clinical right but this PTSD idea around our youth in Richmond surrounded with gun violence yes with the PTSD portion yes of course being shot stabbed assaulted yes that is um that is very yes is is it yes is very important and yes yes they do suffer PTSD that way but a lot of times people don't understand that they've actually lived uh, their whole life in a in almost chaos because mm. of the PTSD that their parents um, went through, the trauma that they faced. Mm -hmm. And so that's honestly, for some, a lot of the kids, that's all they know. Right. And, and we try to let them know that, you know, it's a it's a different normal like than what they're used to. So it sounds like the trauma that the parents may face, that could come from just trauma and having to live in a certain areas of Richmond that have been really targeted Absolutely. through the inequ- and inequities of all sorts, right? Yes. Possibly systemic, possibly due to only personal choices, individual choices. That's a conversation that's always a, a both and. Yeah. And one that can be controversial in some ways. But the idea of PTSD with our children being that seeing violence in our communities could be just as harmful as seeing violence in a war. And when gunshots go off, our children, our youth are in a war zone in that way, whether it's just one one bullet is enough. Um, And that's what you're really seeing and targeting and 
trying to use just conversation around gaming and shoes and just relating to them. And it's great that you're bringing resources with Amy and then that, however, I'm not going to say the hiring process works, but people are ending up in the position like you that can relate to the population and that it's understand that your lens is valued in that way Mm -hmm. and you're out here doing the work, right? Because it sounds like even before this, you were doing community-based work anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I tell all of my program participants that even even though it's really unfortunate what happened to them, I connect with them on the, on the level that that could have been me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when I say that, they always give me a look. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I let them know, hey, we're not much different. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up in Petersburg and in, in, uh, all Bert? of, yeah, yeah. And all of the uh, housing, pro- I think I lived in every housing project, <laughs> but maybe one. Wow. in Petersburg. So like you said, I saw violence and it became normal for me. Right. And so I had, to, as I got older and went to school and things like that, it took that, it took years and years for me to understand that wasn't normal. Right. And I, so I know firsthand these young individuals, they are looking at the violence in their neighborhoods as normal. And mm-hmm. so that's why I try to really break that down and help and, and connecting them to organizations like Child Savers mm-hmm. to, to reiterate that that's not, that doesn't have to be your normal. That's the biggest thing. So we talk a lot about normal, mm-hmm. right? And on the show, we talk a lot about racial narratives and narratives in general. And I'm talking about the root causes of gun violence. I don't ever want to make it seem like the narrative we're creating is that it's the neighborhood's fault. It's not the people's fault, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that the way that your program really works is uplifting the root of what people are doing already in the community and connecting them with people in the community that they can relate to. So my idea of community and and the root causes of it, a lot of the things I talk about are systemic. But what are some of the things that you all look at as root causes for gun violence in Richmond? I mean, I would say in general, when we're talking about violence, in the community, we're looking at, and I kind of want to frame it in a positive way, yeah. that we're looking to create peaceful families. Okay. You know, and this is some of the strategic priority areas that the city is looking to make some headway on, is creating mm-hmm. peaceful families. Hmm. Families that have the resources they need to be successful in their own homes mm-hmm. so that we create parents who can be parents. <laughs> and kids who can be kids. Okay. And there aren't those other weights, you know, hanging over them. Right. You know, we want to look at creating safe and healthy neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, we want kids to be able to walk out their front door and, again, to be able to be kids, mm-hmm. to not have fears, to not see that there's chaos happening, but yeah. to feel comfortable. Okay. And then we also really want to think about helping people meet economic needs. Definitely. Um, that's I think that's one of the biggest issues we, we have in the city is helping people to make ends meet. Right. It's right. not so simple. So is that um, a connection that you all make or would like to make in the broader community? Like, and, and with your work, you just mentioned that economic piece. Is there other programs or things that you guys connect folks with to help with the, the, the business building, the, the economic piece? Yeah, absolutely. So we are part of a larger collaborative in the city. We're part of the Inspire Work Group. And mm. it's you know made up of 40 different organizations, community residents, a combination of public and private organizations as well. And we're all looking to come together. You know, Richmond is used, used to working in its silos. Okay. But, you know, we're all there for the same goal. We all take our organizational hats off when we walk in the room Mm -hmm. and we come together to think about how do we best help 
our whole community. And we take that me and leave it at the door with that hat, you know, Um, and we turn it into into we, you know, we are going to do this all together. But, you know, I think of Mayor's Youth Academy. They help us to provide internships in our organization Mm -hmm. for our kids and emerging leaders. But they also help to provide jobs for young people 14 to, I think they go up to 19, mm-hmm. uh, across the city and over the summers. And they do a lot of other projects as well. We're trying to work with the city's workforce development programs, yep. you know, yep. really connecting to the people who are already doing the work, not creating a new program, but right. working with those who are already involved. Awesome. You all talk a lot about ages. We have these age limits here. And bridging the gap, it's 10 to 24, right? Yes. Why? Well, um, <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you asked that because I asked the same question. Um, <laughs> but the CDC definition of youth was 10 to 24. And so when they when they uh, thought about and researched the program, they just utilized the CDC's definition of youth. So that's how that's where the age range derived from. Okay. So what are any other resources or anything else that you guys want to mention about a survivor of gun violence to just connect people and any of the the physical healing, the mental healing, the family healing, anything else with those connections? Well, like we talked about before with the PTSD part, I feel like that's the that's the monster that you don't see right off. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we, as I said before, it presents itself differently in different people and at different times. And I think that's one of the major things that we do with Bridging the Gap is try to connect them to mental health services. Okay. And like I was telling someone earlier today, my catch all that I try to say to all of my participants and things like that is, well, just go talk to someone at least once. Mm. And just to, to, to start with that one time. Right. Because I tell them all a journey of a thousand miles can only begin with the first step. And so just taking that first step, because a lot of people don't want to admit that something that something's going on with them. Okay. And, and that's that's where I try to come in and talk, talk to the patient. But it's not just the patient. If the patient has siblings, parents in the household, everything like that. I try to connect everybody Mm. to those services. And like I said, at least just try it one time Mm -hmm. and we'll see where it goes from there. But everyone has experienced that trauma, not just the patient. So just trying to connect them to mental health services, that's that's like a major key of bridging the gap. I would say one of the things we're lucky is that for those who are over 18, we actually have a trauma psychologist on staff. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'd be remiss to not mention yes. her because she is really fantastic. Yes. And this is what yes. she focuses on. Um, and she's very good at it. Right. Yes. It's an amazing and resource. It, and it really helps when you're sitting in the living room of someone who's just experienced those injuries and they've been discharged. And I'm able to send an email while I'm sitting there to, um, to a psychologist and say, hey, this person needs needs some resources. And she, she'll shoot them right back, say, hey, how about this, this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. which makes my job a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But it goes to show that we're, we're all a team and we're connected. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah. And, and the patient knows that you now have a team of individuals working for you to make you better. So we mentioned that a lot of your clients live in the courts. Yes. So... Can I be real about something? Absolutely. It sounds like a majority of your clients are a lot of our black youth, right? Absolutely. And talking about race and just kind of being honest and saying that out loud. I don't think we had kind of got even said that out loud yet. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right? Like that's that's a, a major part of yes. that, that culture and um, who we're having to make sure is lifted and surrounded in the program. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you just want to mention about coming in and, you know, you're also a black man. Yes, and just using your work 
to really give back and understanding the importance of your role in that. Yes, and that's that's why I feel like it's rewarding as a black man mm -hmm. being able to touch a lot of other young black men and women mm -hmm. and also uh, actually me being in this position as I talk to Amy about all the time, you rarely catch me in a shirt and tie because I I just I want to I want to actually not they've had a lot of bad experiences with people in shirt and ties right. and things like that. So I, I literally try to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And I ain't gonna lie, it, 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 it's actually more comfortable for me. Right. Because because again, I, I've lived a lot of the things they're going through. Right. And, I, and I know how people, um, how I felt. So sure. just being able to go and just, and that's why the conversations are literally conversations. Mm -hmm. Just talking to them like, hey, just because this is your environment now, this doesn't determine where you're going after this. Right. And it, and I'm going to be there with you every step of the way to get you where you need to be. And really coming with that lens is important for them and being able to do your work comfortably, right? Mm -hmm. And to, it, to understand their culture of their lens that they're speaking through and not come in like a parole officer with a suit and tie, right? <laughs> yes. That's probably a uniform. That That's a type of uniform yes. that yes. folks become really intimidated and had really terrible or traumatic experiences around from what they've experienced and what they know or even been taught in our culture, right? Yes. And that's really an important piece to understand of even building that trust that was talked about before. So in a lot of way, it's, it's I, I, I say that being able to understand black culture and live in black culture is a privilege in itself. Everybody wants to be us anyway, as far as culturally, it pop, like what's, what's popular, what will sell, mm -hmm. whether that's appropriation or not, that's another show, right? But it's, it's really, that could be a privilege of mine. So I just I'm in, I'm inspired to see you light up talking about it to understand it's good people doing this work and that's connected to an institution like VCU that's here and and being in this space and understanding their role of having departments of injury and violence prevention program right that's important work Absolutely. I I never even yes. heard of this department <laughs> <laughs> it's got a whole assistant director and everything so VCU is out here putting them programs together that are also doing really good work so I want to go ahead and transition up to our next wait 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 what? before we do that i have yeah. i have a question yeah what's up a day earlier you mentioned misconceptions and that there's kind of this false narrative oh, yeah. of a hyper violent individual yes what do you all do to i imagine that part of your work is shifting the narrative yes because gun violence unfortunately because most of the people that come in are young black males but I try to tell people that it's not a black thing, a white thing, it's a violence thing. Mm. And so is and more so your socioeconomic um, status. Unfortunately, that has been a, a push that I see has pushed the violence because of the things that they're trying to get. Mm -hmm. And it, it's usually, if it's just like Maslow hierarchy of needs. Like right. it's survival of the fittest, everything. Like, if they're trying to get their basic needs met and unfortunately they have to go to you know different means to to make ends meet mm -hmm. um as amy has said before just trying to get people to make ends meet so trying to get there it usually leads to some some uh unfortunate things and so i just want you know people to understand that it's not just these hyper violent people walking around right. they are actually people like me and you mm -hmm. who are just trying to support their families and make a way because mm -hmm. they live outside of the norm Yes. That's like you were saying before. Is well, 
they live outside the societal norm Hello. because it has made it their norm. Right, yeah. right. And having to function outside of what other people may see as a norm is what could cause fear in a lot of people looking at that and, and name them as hyper-violent, right? And that's not what it is at all. It's just... Absolutely. And when you... And, and when... <laughs> I'll tell anybody... It'll change your purview when you walk into that room and this person who you may deem is, oh, he's this violent person. Mm -hmm. When you walk in there and he's crying because he's hurt, he's mm -hmm. injured, and he, nobody's in there with him. Um, I've had cases where I'm usually the only one who will come see him, not the friends that he runs with. Right. Parents, they, they're they trying to make ends meet, so he's in there alone. Right. And so when you see a, a, a young man or woman that vulnerable and, 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 and stripped bare like that, that does give you a different outlook to say no. This this isn't this isn't the action of a hyperviolent person. Right. This is an actual human being that has bad some um, unfortunate life circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so, with that in mind, that's that's when I'm ready to jump in and, and get the work started. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now it's important to know that folks like you are out here doing this work. Thank you. I appreciate that. And are so passionate about this to be able to see that young person and know that we're not going to leave them behind. And it's our community's job, including our institution's job, to tap into that yes. and pull up mm -hmm. and, and do the lift and add the resources and do our part. So I want to go ahead and transition to our next segment that I invite all of our guests to take part of, which is... What's your privilege? What's your privilege is a segment where I invite you to just talk a little bit about what privilege you've been given in this world that allows you to do great work? And how do you use that in a society that is truly built on a human hierarchy? This may sound a little funny, but I think I was privileged actually to have the background of these uh, young individuals I work with because it connects me to them. It can be a, a, a positive and a negative, only a negative in the sense that you become so invested that when they don't succeed, it, it, it hurts. It hurts really bad. Mm -hmm. But I, I just think that just coming from where I'm from to, to be able to help these young individuals overcome a lot of the things that I even had to overcome myself is so rewarding. Like working here has been like nothing short of amazing for me because <laughs> I'm able to go out and touch them and it's not just see them in the hospital like, oh, they're patched up now, you're good, you can go. Right. It's the once they are discharged that I'm going out to the house mm -hmm. and I'm meeting the family, I'm meeting the significant others and the friends and everyone. And so it's, it's so rewarding and I, I just get filled with emotion just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, so it's like your privilege is being able to witness the resilience. Yes, absolutely. Just to see them go from sitting in that bed where they don't believe many things are possible mm. to after working with them over time, they now believe anything is possible. They're seeing their power. Yes, yes. Amazing. Yeah. And it's power that you've connected through the community, right? There are resources in the community of yes, giving them power. Yes, Just being being able to go out and be a part of the community now, and instead of looking mm. at looking being looked at like an outsider now, and just being a part of it has is, has been a great experience. Wow! Wow! Thank you for sharing that, Amy. So privilege. I feel like uh, I was born into a a two-parent household. I'm a white female. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that those experiences allowed me to be able to have parents who were able to pay for my education. Mm -hmm. And I think when I went to college, I had, I grew up in a very white community. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. very, very white community. I'll be honest. Yeah. But when I went to college, I realized there was so much more to the world than what I was experiencing growing up. 
that I thought, gosh, there's got to be more that I can give back, um, more that I can do with what I've been given. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I went to school for social work. Yay, social workers! <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you're a bloody-hearted person. You're just one of those. I, yeah. Like, so empathetic. We want to care and share. I'm sorry, it's a little social work moment. Okay, it's so true, though. <laughs> and if I could interject real quick, Amy actually isn't giving herself enough credit because um, Amy, like she said, she says she grew up in a, a all white pretty much environment, but to to live, talk to her mm-hmm. and to see that she understands mm-hmm. the plight of these young black males and females that we do see and we're trying to help, and she understands it and is very very passionate mm. about helping them. <laughs> um, don't don't let her size and demeanor. Put, she <laughs> is very passionate about helping helping um, our population mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. being able to to she has to take a lot off my mind when we meet <laughs> weekly mm-hmm. um, but she's really passionate about it and is is it only fuels my passion to do what I do amazing amazing some team building across yes. all sorts of divides that wouldn't, <laughs> yeah. things that wouldn't normally divide <laughs> us right yeah and I'm my privilege for this week my privilege is that I've never experienced gun violence myself my immediate community, my immediate family that I grew up with, I haven't witnessed that. I have had touches of it from my outside family that I've connected with, and I can definitely connect to other types of violence. But I will say that I have not had that first experience of that. And that's a privilege for me because I've danced around that in other ways, right? I've been touched in other in other ways, but that one specifically, I don't become triggered by guns like many people do i i have a different sense around guns and i'm really sensitive to that privilege of mine being an ex-social worker and being around certain folks of just the mention of it storytelling around it even awareness campaign interviews around it people can't listen to so recognizing that i have a privilege of even what sets me off what i what i can digest in my ear on a regular day-to-day conversation people don't understand what trauma can do to folks and just a privilege of what we have without having to carry certain types of trauma. So I just ask everybody to really think about that extra layer that we might have as a privilege of not having to experience gun violence directly. Yeah. So before we let you guys go, I have a question. Sure. Uh, what do you all see as the future of your programs and the future of Richmond? What do you well, hope to see? Well, for program wise, all of the money. Hey, <laughs> hey. Yes, please. <laughs> well, um, program wise, Amy already knows, probably knows what I'm going to say. Just more hands, yeah. <laughs> more mm-hmm. hands. And we have some great things coming down the pike because one of my biggest things is trying to help an individual, but sending them back into the same environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we got some things, uh, hopefully a housing program, possibly. Uh-oh. Yeah, fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> um, so that we don't have to send them back into those communities. We yes. can actually do the work that we do and actually move them out of the communities that they're currently in. So. Yeah, and I know the Mayor's Youth Academy has starts and at least helps with a lot of that as well with their youth. Mm-hmm. I know that part of just really placing them. So I'm I'm lifting that up because I know that that is a narrative in Richmond people have bought into. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hopeful that something like that could also be funded with the young folks at UC too. Yes. Yes. So I just want to put that in the air that that. <laughs> 
people have bought because we have to get people to buy into the ideas, right? Yes. yes. That investing in housing and security, literally a roof over these folks' heads can build a different narrative and a different future for them. So I definitely just want to lift that them. That's great to even hear that that's in the works and that's why people need to support you all. Yes. What else in the future can you guys see? I mean, I see our program being a model for other areas in the state. Mm. That's what we hope because we know that there are other areas in our state that are facing the same issues we are here in Richmond. Mm -hmm. Right now, we know we are the only intensive program like this. Wow. So how can we use what we've learned here to help other communities as well? So not just serving our own community, but being able to take that further. Can you identify anywhere else in the state you said even region wise that might that you've said have seen a lot of gun violence? I mean we know like Newport News, Virginia Beach area yep. is definitely one yep. of those yeah. one of those areas. And Amy, <laughs> I asked you that very specifically because I was like, man, I bet I should I didn't even want to assume, but we had Valerie Slater on a few episodes ago talking about uh, youth incarceration mm-hmm. and that being a huge, that Newport News 757 Hampton Roads area being the largest population that we pull from that our youth are incarcerated. So a ridiculous percentage of our young youth come from that area that are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So tying that right back to also them being the survivors and the victims of gun violence, right? These young black youth in Virginia, especially in that area, are getting double slammed with that. That's a horrible thing to think about. Yes. I just wanted to bring that around, that it's not just gun violence, it's incarceration, looking at this population. Same thing here in Richmond and why these programs reaching across the state are so important. And part of you know our work is we do work with the police departments. Mm-hmm. We do work with court as well, courts as well, because we, we don't want a young person to be even to be involved at all mm-hmm. in the criminal justice system because that yes. once they get involved, it's so much harder to get back out. Yes. So that's why we want to do everything possible within our own program, but also connecting to all the other programs in the city mm-hmm. so that we don't we can reduce the rates of, of kids being incarcerated. I say use that systems theory, girl, that we use in, That's right. use in like social work <laughs> class, systems theory. Oh, okay. Well, thank you all so much for being here and sharing Thanks the stories and the work that you guys are doing. I think it's lovely. Thank you all so much for being here. And so how can the people support you, follow you? How do we keep in contact? So we have a Facebook page. It's VCU Health and Drain Violence Prevention Programs. And we, if people are interested, we are actually having a big gala in May. It's May 18th. It's the Shining Night Gala. And the proceeds from that gala actually help to support our program, okay. um, the Injury and Violence Prevention Program. And that money goes to Bridging the Gap. It goes to Emerging nice. Leaders. It goes to our other program areas. Great. Um, Great. So if if people have the funds and the time it's a really great event it's a lot of fun yep and they can share it if they can't share it so other people see it we can all yes. kind of do our Absolutely. part on that right, yes. right? <laughs> awesome awesome all right well Ade mason amy vincent thank you all so much for being here and good luck with everything you're doing thank you so much violence is wrong in america violence is wrong abroad it's wrong to be violent Defending black women and black children and black babies and black men, then it's wrong for America to draft us and make us violent abroad in defense of her. Tons of guns, everybody's getting strapped. Tons of guns, gotta watch the way you act. Tons of guns, real easy to get. Tons of guns. So that was a super compelling episode with the day and Amy. But let's be real. We learned that a day is only the one person doing this work with Bridging the Gap right now. Right. That's not enough. 
That's definitely not enough. And how many people they're not able to serve right now. And I'm not going to say anything that was going on in the room. I don't know. But it seems like just the fight to maintain the funding that they have going seems to be something that Amy has to do every single day. Yeah, she mentioned she was just coming from a funding meeting. (laughs) Right. So I'm hoping that the idea of continuing to spread this is something they're already bought into. I love the idea that they're talking about the housing piece. But when they start that housing, I wonder... Are they only going to have one case manager, mm-hmm. right? What does that look like by growing outside of what they're doing by offering housing, but also making sure that more people like a day get to do this work as well, that he has more partners in this? Right. Yeah. So that was the first thing I noticed. Also, point number two is just important to view survivors of gun violence as human beings. Right. So not like a day was saying these highly violent individuals. Right. Like obviously reframing our Richmonder, our young Richmonder as a survivor, not a victim, number one, but also that these are not dangerous beings. These are human beings that are caught and wrapped up in situations that, like he was saying, live in a different type of normal. Yeah. And they are children. Children. So... Understanding that children that are coming with post-traumatic stress disorder, these are young people that now have to carry this trauma around for the rest of their lives. And as he pointed out, also their families are now impacted with this trauma. And understanding that the type of investment that we put in veterans to get their worlds together after they've seen trauma and done all this work for us, understanding that wrapping around and having those same investments in our children that have experienced trauma so that they can create a holistic environment for themselves that can actually lead to change and success. It's important to have those type of conversations, holistic conversations, resource conversations, institutions that are taking up space, enrichment conversations. Yeah, because healing from trauma and PTSD, it doesn't just stop when the bleeding stops. Right. Just because you have a heartbeat and you've survived, literally been able to be wheeled out of the hospital, you still have to survive Richmond. You have to survive those stats of you have already have a chance of living 20 years less than the Richmonder across the pond, across the river. And programs like these are in place to help with that survival. But again, we revisit the issue of there's not enough funding. There's not enough resources. There's Mm -hmm. not enough people. Yep. Yep. But at least they are relying on a, a really important point I want to point out. At least they are relying on an important piece of the community, which is the expertise of someone like a day and seeing his experiences as the right person to be doing this work and building that rapport because his expertise should be paid for. His lens, like he said, his privilege of, of having that experience should be looked as an expertise. And I think it's encouraging, too, that a lot of the youth leaders are coming from areas that are affected by gun violence. Right. Going back to Valerie's point a few episodes ago that our communities have the answers. Exactly. Right? It's the resources that have been systemically disinvested and taken out of their hands to even have control over to say, this is what this is where we need to put our community money towards. Change is not going to come from just parachuting into a neighborhood and saying, oh, I have the savior fix for you. Right. And to this particular point, those resources depend on someone being shot or not from they're possibly losing their life our young person losing their life i wonder what it's going to take to get people to pay attention beyond the gunshot Mm. is it only when people are shot that we pay attention well i don't know cat because black people are getting shot right but when i scroll on my timeline 
What I see are the mass shootings of where white people are the victims. Exactly. That's what's on my timeline. That's what the attention is getting. And that the people that get the attention, that get the mic, get the resources. That's why we have to have these conversations. That's why media matters. And media is part of the problem. Mm. They're putting the attention on the mass shooting survivors. And a lot of those are white kids, whereas crime in black communities is framed upon as a, a character flaw. Right. Or, again, going back to a day's point about this highly ind violent individuals and highly violent communities that media perpetuates the myth of black on black crime. Right. <laughs> oh, media. Being able to tell a story in a way that didn't just put everybody was in the wrong. There was no win to this. Well, yeah, everybody is involved, including the surrounding forces of the neighborhoods, of these courts, of the people that are building these public housing units, the way they are, the way they're set up, their green space, the entire built environment of what that looks like, their concrete walls, right? I mean, everybody is responsible, yes. I'll, I'll agree to that. But when you live in a house that looks like a prison... Right. When you ha when you live in a space that feels cold, that feels disconnected to the community, it's like maybe that's where you belong when you've been housed there because that's the only place of shelter. That's where the city sees you. And does the city even see you? Mm. More than just your face of a victim of gun violence. That one time on the news and maybe the visual of your family getting together. We need to start seeing people as survivors and not victims. Right. And the media is a part of that. Right. But here we are in the media. Trying to uplift those voices that are doing the work, trying to show programs that are doing the work, and also hoping to encourage more programs not to just do this, but to grow from within the inside. Right. And I know Bridging the Gap is doing so much work, but I also am really excited about more people coming into this space with ideas to support Bridging the Gap and how to even expand their own narrative. So there's kind of an elephant in the room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's been an elephant in the studio. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this elephant follows me everywhere, especially in the former capital of the Confederacy. And that elephant's name is good old white supremacy. For real, Kat, I don't know how we ever run from the idea that the way our system is set up, it's always to put black bodies as the inferior. Mm -hmm. American culture is gun culture rooted in white supremacy. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. But we have the answers. Community has the answers. The black community has the answers for their own neighborhood. And disinvesting in old systems rooted in white supremacy and reinvesting in these communities is the answer. I just hope we're doing a little bit of part of that good work, right? Just have to keep having these conversations. That's right. So we're really thankful for people like Aday and Amy that are doing the work and come up here to share their ideas and what they're doing. I'm thankful for this platform. Thankful for everybody that's giving for our fun drive that's going on. Woo -woo. So we can keep running our mouths about what's happening in Richmond, right? Well, thanks for joining us this week on Race Capital. We'll holla at you next week. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my
I swear this place ain't got no love